Hey guys, welcome back to the Book Club Podcast, where each month we read a contemporary or classic fantasy or sci-fi novel, and then break it down and see what we can learn from it. My name is David. My name is Laura. I've nailed down an intro. You'll all be happy to hear. Oh, good. Um, yeah, so that was it. Uh, I spent a few hours this morning practicing, so I feel yeah. like I've got... I, I almost thing. ruined it because I almost, like, I was like, oh, I have to say my name now. That does happen every week on this show, where someone will invariably forget how we started. <laughs> And, like, every single show we do, even though we've been doing it for so fucking long, it's like, no, nah, never going to happen. Never going to be first try. Someone's going to fuck something up. Um, but this month, uh, as you'll be aware from last month, uh, we are... Uh, it was Christmas. This is our December book. We kind of was looking at what happened over the over the Christmas break, getting in the spirit uh, of, of Christmas. So we read Hogfather by Terry Pratchett, mm-hmm. which is a 1997 Discworld novel. I think it's the 20th Discworld novel. Um, and it was his kind of first foray... Um, from kind of transitioning from his like extreme satire into more of like a cerebral, darker kind of um, subject matter because this book is a lot more grim than than a lot of his other stuff and covers um, I don't know like tonally I th- I find it very different to to his other work um, right yeah which and it marks that transition for him into then you know his more contemporary stuff which has definitely got more of a more of like I don't know how you. I don't know. I I think of it as being like more of like an adult kind of punch to it, mm. whereas the other stuff was very like satirical and fun. Um, yeah, it's a bit darker. Uh, so you'd read this before this time, hadn't you? Or I had. Yeah. And what did you think coming back to it? Um, I enjoyed it. Um, the trouble with me was um, actually because uh, I'd seen the. Um, TV series a couple times. Oh, it's like that two-part yeah, telly movie in thing. in between reading it. Mm-hmm. So when I first started reading it, I just had the characters and the actors from that show in kind of head. intruding on it a bit, <clears throat> mm-hmm. um, which was... Yeah, I mean, death to me is always going to be Christopher Lee, so, you know. And, like, it, um, it's just, he's so good in that. Oh, he's perfect. That's one of his play. best performances, yes. I think. Did they um, put him in the costume? I can't remember. Or is it is he just doing the voice? I don't know. But Should have looked that up. He, he's basically in every single adaptation. He's just death. It's yeah, just, which makes sense. He's just so good. Yeah, he's amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, because I hadn't read, I hadn't read this one surprisingly before now. I'd seen the two part adaptation. I've read a lot of Terry Pratchett, but yeah. it was just like not on my radar of things that I was gonna read. Um, and Pratchett is a bit like Gaiman or Stephen King or people like that, where like they they kind of fall into that category of. You've read them and you know the stories that they tell, but you're not, no, you haven't necessarily read all of their stuff. And that was mm. kind of on the, on the list for me. Um, and coming back to it this time, having seen the two-part series and then reading the book, I was surprised at like, like how much darker the book is than the telly the right. two-part series. Like it just, yeah. like not even like, um, not even just because the TV series is like not a book. So there's stuff that you can do in the, the story in the book that you can't in, um, in a TV show, but it, as I go through, I'll try and articulate what I mean, but there's something about it that I found very different than a lot of Pratchett's other works, and I felt like it was when he first kind of, um, as I said at the topic, it was when he kind of went a bit darker, but also it's when I felt like he he kind of expands his range a bit as to as to how these characters can behave in this world is not necessarily determined just by the rules of the world, but also like morality and stuff, whereas I think a lot of the, the, the Discworld books before this were about a topic. So, like, this one's yeah. about Christmas or whatever. Yeah. But the previous ones were like, oh, it's about um, farming, and it's through this cool allegorical lens of, like, these other 12 things. And, yeah. And it says something about farming. Whereas this one is, like, about belief, and it... I don't know. It, it's just a much more, like, 
serious subject matter. It's a very nuanced look at it, too, surprisingly. Yeah, and I think that's something that Pratchett has always excelled at, but this is the first time when we see that. Yeah, well, it's it's like you'll you'll be reading one of his things and then a line will jump out at you and you're like, that's really clever. Yeah, Um, he has that Oscar Wilde kind of habit of writing these really pithy kind of one-line zingers um, that I really love. So let's... Let's get through the summary because it's kind of it's not super long actually surprisingly this time, um, and then we'll we'll talk a bit about um, the themes in Christmas, and then we'll talk a bit about belief, and then we'll mm-hmm. see where that takes us. Um, so, the auditors of reality, a group of celestial bureaucrats, attempt to eliminate the Hogfather, a jolly godlike creature who grants children wishes on Hogs Hogs Watch Night, which is all one word, which I love, which is December thirty second, uh, and brings them presents, which uh, and brings them presents which in their view creates chaos in the universe. Forbidden to interface directly, they pay the Assassin's Guild to kill the Hogfather instead. The task is given to Mr. Tea Time, who has a reputation for ruthlessness and creative... I think creative. you'll find that's Tea Is that how you pronounce it? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to say Mr. Tea But that's how, uh, how Tea wants you to pronounce it. Okay. I think we'll just say Tea Time. I think we'll faster. say Tea Time because my brain can't keep up with that. But yes, I, also it's a very good joke. Um... Uh, he's given the task uh, uh, because of his ruthlessness and creative solutions. Mr. T-Time enlists the help of some gangsters to find a delivery person working for the Tooth Fairy, uses his magic to break into her kingdom, and steals all the collected teeth. With these teeth, he's able to control all the children on the Discworld, commanding them to no longer believe in the Hogfather. That was a bad sentence I'd written. Um... Knowing that the Hogfather is also responsible for the sun rising, Death attempts to maintain belief by dressing up as the Hogfather and fulfilling his role. Since he is unable to, def- uh, to defeat Mr. Ta- Mr. Tea Time, who resides in a realm created by children's belief where death, and thus death, does not exist, he appears at his granddaughter's place of work dressed as the Hogfather. <laughs> as he had planned, Susan is unable to resist her curiosity and tries to find the Hogfather. She visits the Hogfather's Castle of Bones, only to find uh, the hungover Bilius. I don't know how he's... Is that right? Yeah. Could be. This is... I feel like a big portion of our book club is always me mispronouncing names. Um, I'm sure it's right. Like, Seems... I don't know how, you, how else you pronounce it. Pro, I don't know. Probably no other way. I mean, it's clearly meant to be... He's a bit Bilius, because he's... You know, he's the old hangover. god of hangovers. Yeah. yeah. Um, in an attempt to cure Bilius from his hangovers, Susan visits the Unseen University, where she discovers that several small gods and beings, including Bilius, are being created due to an abundance of belief in the world caused by the Hogfather's disappearance. Susan and Bilius travel to the Tooth Fairy's realm and discover Mr. Tea Time's plot. Mr. Tea Time attacks Susan using Death's sword, but since it does not work in this realm, Susan is able to overpower him and throw him off the tower, causing him to disappear. She then manages to rescue the Hogfather, who has reverted to his former self as a hog from auditors who hound him in the form of attack dogs. As Susan is returning to her place of work, Death explains what happened to Susan, but she is attacked by Tea, by tea Time, whom she finally manages to kill using a kitchen poker. That's kind of the book. It's kind of the whole part of the story. Not a lot happens. It's really fun. <laughs> I'm surprised is reading it. Like kitchen poker really the word for that? What would you call it? I don't know. Fire poker. But it's in the kitchen fire I don't know. A fire, they have a name. There's like a specific, like it's like the the tools that you use to jam yeah, the fire. But yeah. but it's. I thought it was specifically the kitchen poker because there's a living room poker as well. Well, doesn't she back out of the kitchen and then into the living room? Oh, you might be right. Maybe it is a living room. Poker. And then she puts it over the hearth. Yeah, no, you're she right. She puts it, the kettle over the hearth and then grabs the poker while she's doing that. Yeah, you're right. Maybe it's not a kitchen poker. That's fine. Well, 
bleep that out, put in <laughs> put in living room poker, fix it in post. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, the whole thing's really about Christmas, but it's kind of not. I don't know. Because, like, obviously we read this over Christmas. Yeah. What was your kind of vibe on all that stuff? I mean, it, it is the disc's version of Christmas, which is a little different, um, because the disc is like the earth, but just flattened a bit. But a flat and on a turtle. Well, big space turtle. A big turtle and four elephants. That's right. Yes. Excuse me. Yes. Yes. Um. Yeah. So, I mean, Christmas-wise, what was you? What you know? It's really the theme of the story is about Christmas and belief and stuff. Yeah. Is that something that resonated with you, going through it? Um. I mean, um. Sort of. Um. I mean, not more than any other theme, I guess. Um, yeah. I only ask because you're, like, the person of everyone that we work with who is, like, the most normally adjusted to, like, holidays and things. And you're good at decorating and you understand, like, yeah. how to wrap presents and the rest of us can't fucking wrap anything to save our lives. I mean, the reason I like Christmas isn't because Christmas, although, you know, all the stuff that comes with Christmas, like, the food and mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm. you know, gatherings and whatever, that's that's all quite fun. But mm-hmm. um, I do, like giving gifts to people so okay yeah that's interesting see because for, for me like my relationship with christmas is not healthy um which I, we, i've mentioned we mentioned this before way back it would have been like the first year or two of art for artists when we talked about some right. stuff way back then but like i don't do well with christmas i find it really stressful like um it brings up a lot of stuff from my past that i'd rather like not deal with and refuse to deal with so like for me i'm like always uncomfortable around christmas and stress and stuff so when i was reading this i was interested that <clears throat> They managed to make Christmas about something more than just, like, the rituals. Because I was thinking about this in comparison to, like, say, like, a Doctor Who Christmas special. Mm. I know there wasn't one this year, but, like, if you think about the... the pre- and also the, the one last year was fucking terrible. Um, but, like, the, the ones that are generally okay, they tend to be, like, Christmas saves the day. Or, like, it's about, like... It's the spirit of Christmas. Yeah. And, and the funny thing about this book as well is that in several points in the book, um, it, they they... They say that oh, it's in the spirit of Hogswatch, and you're like, what does that mean? Like, yeah, um, and and like, um, Nobby Nobs is, um, Which, by the way, great name. The naming in this book is phenomenal. Yeah, although Nobby comes from earlier Watch books as well. Okay. Um, he's actually, um, it's great because he's, um, probably the only human on the disc to have a certificate to prove that he is human. Anyway, I digress. Yes. Um. Jeez, um. Sorry, we were talking about Christmas and like the what the actual like Hogs Watch means. Yeah, like- so yeah, Nobs is like looking at this crossbow and being like so materialistic and going, "This is the best thing ever." Yeah. Um, and Constable Visit is like, "That's you're you're being really materialistic," and Nobby Nobby is like, "You don't understand the meaning of Hogs Watch." Right, which then begs the question: Well, is what is the meaning of Hogs Watch? Right. Because that's kind of what the story explores, it really feels like, because the minute that ho- the Hogfather's gone, it's not it's some hero that steps in to save the day. It's fucking death. Like, <laughs> but, it's... Yeah. yeah that, that, and that's kind of... Um, and then, you know, you have Susan come in, who's kind of the, the interlocutor for the whole process. And I don't know, like, it's... There's, there's something to the way that it explores those themes indirectly by going, well... I'm sorry, Terry Pratchett, to be like, who could replace Santa Claus? Uh, the spirit of death. <laughs> like, that's very Pratchett. I mean, yeah. I mean, in Pratchett's mythos, death is such an interesting character because he's he is um, an anthropomorphic personification, which is what he calls all of those forces which 
appear as human. Mm-hmm. Death being not quite human. Um, so which, which, yeah, it was not explored yeah. in this, but it's interesting. The interesting part being death is, like, not quite human, but at the same time he really wants to connect with mm. people. He even has that like, conversation with Susan toward the end where he, they, you know, he's like, I find people so interesting. They even managed to invent boredom. Yeah. Like, all that stuff. Like, there's, there's, a, there's a delicacy to his... Um, his affection yeah. for humans. It's like he, he finds humans really strange and they probably do some really stupid things in his eyes, but at the same time, he really loves that about them. Mm. And which is interesting, too, because I think in, in normal literature, or I, I guess in a general sense, death is a bad thing. Right. Death is like a negative inf- influence on humanity because when someone dies, you're sad, and like we, we the, the entirety of human history has been about... Um, us developing ways to die less and, mm-hmm. and to die later and to, to save people and it's it's we need to fix cancer, we need to fix this because dying is bad but it seems like Terry Pratchett um, I don't know I'm, I'm not super familiar with the rest of his work like yeah. aside from um, his work with Neil Gaiman and a few other different bits and pieces but like is that is that something that permeates through a lot of what he does like that examination of, of death as an idea? Um, I mean death I think death is one of the most, I would say he appears a lot mm-hmm. in the Discworld novels, even just like brief appearances because well, death much, is ever present, right? Pretty much any time a character dies, which, you know, it happens. Right. Oh, just, and he rocks up every time in the stories or he's pretty at least much. present. Okay. Like, oh, some, you'll have those scenes where some like side character will, will drop dead and then death will come along and help them up and they'll be like, oh, I could have died there, and death is like, He's well. like, sorry, bro. Yeah. Too late. Interesting. Yeah, because I, I like the I like the ever-presence of his, um, of, of, of him as, as a character makes a lot more sense as I think about the Suri in particular, because the idea is like, well, can you kill belief? And when you kill belief, the thing that replaces it is the personification of actual death. So then, like, there's... there's... But then also the thing that replaces it is more belief. Is more belief, which and it's and and there's this thing that like I've been trying to wrap my head around, which is going to give me a migraine because like in doing so, Pratchett says, well, when when you destroy this belief in in something positive, um, something else is going to come in and and, and scoop up that belief. Humans have like they have a requirement to believe, like the the fact that there's all this loose belief going around creates all these new gods and and, and whatnot. Yeah. And again, this is. Well, uh, this might be a good way to segue into one of the, the things I want to talk about, which is that idea of belief, and then we can come back to Christmas. But there's something in this obsession with, and I think it's English literature specifically, seems really preoccupied with these ideas of belief. And, yeah. I, and I think that might just be a product of when you live in England, you're surrounded by by religion and belief. And, yeah. you know, you... But I think even to non-religion, it does apply. Um, particularly, there's this bit at the end, which I actually kept the bookmark in um and this is also a quote from that they took for the two-part series Mm um and he goes um so he's telling susan that belief um as a child is practice for believing things as an adult and Mm -hmm. she goes what lies and he goes yeah justice mercy duty that sort of thing and she goes they're not the same at all he said, and I'm sorry, I don't sound like Christopher Lee. Um, I know that's a disappointment. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but he says, you think so? 
Then take the universe and grind it down to the finest powder and sieve it through the finest sieve and then show me one atom of justice, one molecule of mercy, and yet... Death waved a hand. And yet you act as if there is some ideal order in the world, as if there is some... some rightness in the universe by which it may be judged. That is fascinating, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. it makes you go, well, he's right. Like, he's he's right. Yeah. Those are those are concepts we've invented, and we're taught to believe in them. Um, as as a practical example, last week, um, someone broke into my car and stole some of my shit. Um, and one of the things that makes society work, at least you know our modern society, is that we all just agree to these rules because we're told that that's how you you and you you believe that those rules are true. And when they're right. violated, you go, well, like that's fucked up. Like my belief is like if I park my car and I lock it, yeah. I live in a fairly affluent suburb at the moment. I assume that my stuff is fine, right? Yeah. It's in a locked thing. But but what's happened is that belief is disrupted by someone breaking breaking that system. And you go, well, yeah, that's that's yeah. that's just that's actually the the nascent state of the universe. Is there aren't those rules? They don't exist. Like the thing is, you don't you don't not steal from people because uh, you might get caught by the police. I mean, maybe some people. That's probably might. some people. Yeah, but. but- like you do it because it's a bad. Th- you don't steal from people because that would be a bad yeah. thing to do. You believe that's a bad th- yeah. thing, and, and also like you believe that that's not something that pe- that that people do. Right. Like you don't walk around being like, "Well, are they going to steal from me?" You go, "Well, people don't steal from other people because I wouldn't like it if that happened to me." My belief about our universe, like our justice or our mercy or whatever the fuck it is, is that like you treat people the way you want to be treated. And I wouldn't want someone to steal my shit. Right. Um, but that that all of that stuff is so tenuously created by this collective kind of conscious belief that this is a society and a civilization and we're not going to do that. And that's why I really like post-apocalyptic stories and that's mm. why I wrote one, um, <laughs> you know, is because what happens when that stuff does break down and then how do you rebuild it? And, yeah. and, and this story is so f- interestingly curious about not just the belief in you know, Christmas and, you know, the Christmas thing is obviously like an an allegory for like uh, religion or it's not a direct allegory because Pratchett was never one for those, but there's clearly some parallels with religion. Right. And it's interesting that he's English um, and, you know, things like uh, C.S. Lewis, like The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, um, a lot of Pratchett's contemporaries like Neil Gaiman as well was really interested in belief. He wrote American Gods, obviously, which we've covered on the show before. And so I wonder if it's not just a product of, of the contemporary English literature um, is finally like, or, or or is so prepared to examine belief in a way that we don't really have in Australia. Mm-hmm. Like you know, th- there isn't that to. Ex- I don't know. There there are other Pratchett novels that deal with belief. So there's one called Small Gods in which um, there is a god and he makes all of these decrees and stuff. But basically, his vast church and stuff, all of his priests, they've stopped believing him, and the only person that truly believes in him is this gardener mm-hmm. um and so as a result of this because gods take their power from belief he's turned into this little tortoise <gasps> it's adorable yeah yeah and he just tortoises around yeah that's so cool and basically the novel follows his quest to get people to believe in him again interesting it's it's no wonder to me then that Gaiman and Pratchett came together for good omens and like they right. as a creative team they were just this powerhouse you know um and it's interesting now that now that it's just Gaiman that's that's still still around um, to think about like what what legacy were those two trying to create and what were they interested in and mm. it's it's fascinating to me that 
This book in particular, because, like, I've read a lot of Pratchett's other stuff, and I'm not super familiar with Discworld, even though there's so many of them, but, like, I've read one or two. Um, but there's something in his occupation of belief. And I, I say occupation, not preoccupation, because it seems like, in his narratives, that force of, like, you know, so, so there's, there's a section in this book which which discusses it. I'm just going to scroll up and see what, where I, I made a note of this. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's when... Um, they steal the teeth from the, the tooth fairy, um, which is a bit of a tongue twister, the teeth from the tooth fairy. Um, <laughs> and, and that strips the tooth fairy of like a significant portion of the power because the belief is in the act of giving the teeth. It's not, they don't believe in the tooth fairy. They believe in the transaction that they get from it. Yep. Whereas Hog, Hog's Watch um, Night, the belief is in the Hogfather, not in like the presence or like the rituals. It's actually like, they genuinely believe this dude is rocking up and making this happen. Yeah. Whereas, like in our world, like kids believe in fucking Santa Claus, uh, but like there's there's a there's a thing that humans are really good at, which is running two programs at once, right? So, yeah. um, cognitive dissonance is at the core of what makes people be able to do their everyday lives. So, like you can go to work and function whilst also knowing that you're going to die one day. Like that's we're really good at that. Right. And so, as a kid, you intuitively know that Santa's not real. When someone tells you, you go, "Okay, that makes sense." But as a kid, like, you, you also are able to believe that at the same time. It's just, you know, there's something interesting in, in this idea of when death takes over the mantle of the Hogfather, um, you know, you, you at once believe the Hogfather is still around, but you also know that, that that's not quite an authentic experience. Right. It's kind of interesting as a parallel to, like, our world. Like, I think that death takes the, like, in that exact analogy, like, you you want to believe in Santa Claus because you want to believe that there's some magic in the world and there's some justice to like if you're a if you're a good kid you get rewarded right yeah. but then at the same time there's the ever present death which is the other program that you're running at all times which is like that you know you're gonna die <laughs> and running both those programs at the same time f- allows you to facilitate that belief it's just a really interesting kind of parallel I I wouldn't call it an allegory because I know that Pratchett um would be he would he would squint <laughs> at me from his grave but you know it's it's just fucking fascinating to me that he managed to coherently create a world that shows you those parallels and makes you think a bit about how people treat death and belief and stuff. Um, and also Christmas. <laughs> this is really impressive. Like, I don't know. It's, it's, there's so many things going on here. Actually. Yeah. It's just, um, a, it's, it was, it was a weird, yeah. weird flex, but I'm Particularly impressed. The, the parts where like there's traditional Christmas stories playing out and, Death goes, this isn't right, mm-hmm. and sets it right. Yeah, which is fascinating, too, because can you correct belief? You know? I, I know. Which, again, that's I think that's a question. Of, he doesn't really have an answer, obviously. He's more interested in the, the process of belief than, than saying yes or no. Yeah. But I don't know. It's, it's again, it's it's a book that, and this is sort of why we've picked the books we have for this book club, is that they're, they're stories that, and that's why fantasy works, I guess, as a, as a genre, um, if you listen to Tolkien rather than someone like, say, um, uh, you know, Lewis Carroll or someone like that who's sort of more preoccupied with allegory. Like, it's... The the reason that fantasy connects with you is that you, you, you can abstract ideas in such a way that they become unrecognizable, and in doing so, you can finally look in the mirror and not be, like, immediately repulsed and be like, no, no I don't, I don't want to, like, examine this. This is, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm self-conscious about this examination. But... That's why I kind of wanted to talk about Christmas a bit, because this book, obviously, it's not actually Christmas. No. But I wanted to read a quote from a Gizmodo article that was about the book rather than the um, the TV show. Mm-hmm. So they did a TV show article and an article about the book um, after the fact. 
Now, and so the quote goes like this, and I quote, Hogfather mercilessly deconstructs a lot of the usual Christmas tales, which ultimately still come, which, which ultimately still coming down on the side of belief being important. Death stops the little March girl from dying, as she does in the story, since the best gift he can give her is the future. And also there's a great big problem with being a jerk every other day and deciding to be charitable just for Christmas, like good King Wenceslas. Death's also confused by the things he's supposed to do as Hogfather, wondering if checking his list twice is enough. There are a lot of problems with Christmas myths, Pratchett points out, but children's belief in Santa is not one of them. End quote. I think that brilliantly sums up. That's lovely. Yeah, the pathos of the book. The problem isn't the belief in Santa Claus. Yeah. The problem is the way that grown-ups treat this holiday as like a um, get-out-of-jail-free card. Yeah. You know, you do nice things at this time of year. It's like when people have birthdays and shit. When you yeah. do you do nice things because it's their birthday. Whereas and then you're shitty to them all the other The rest days. of the fucking, yeah. yeah. And like, because I fail on baseline conscientiousness with all of my friends. <laughs> like, I don't remember when the fuck any of y'all had birthdays. I don't remember like significant life events. Like, I fucking, like, if I didn't have a computer calendar in front of me that had reminders in it, I would genuinely have no clue what was going on with any of my friends' lives. Like, I fail that baseline conscientiousness so often, but I don't then make up for it by being, like, super generous at different times of year, because that's, like, my baseline. Like, I, the thing that, the thing that my relationships are built on is the way that we interact and the things we have in common and our shared passion for things. So I don't feel like I then have to be super generous. And that's, there's a really interesting, um... I'll try and link it in the show notes if I remember, but there's a really cool article that I was reading in, when I was in my rabbit hole of research okay. that was talking about, um, and it was it was a deconstruction of um, one of Tim Minchin's um, uh, songs, and it was it was where um, it's the Confessions song, which is Confessions in three acts. I don't know if you're oh, familiar yeah. with that. Um, I probably am. Um, I'm just going to bring it up, Tim Minchin lyrics, um, where he kind of goes through the things that he's like, you know the, the all the evil stuff he does. Where like you yes. know he he drinks wine and he knows that that wine if he that ten dollars could feed a, a kid in Africa for a week or whatever. And um, you know he could he could uh, he he believes women have these rights and like he should like fight for those rights. But you know um, as a man like he's he's ashamed of his sex because we treat women like objects. And then at the end of every kind of lament, he he the the, the lyric yeah. is fuck I love boobs though I just yep. really love them. <laughs> And it's really funny, um, you know, and he's, oh, human rights, we need to fight for people's human yeah. rights, but fuck, I love boobs, though. And it's this interesting, because, like, he's trying to mirror that that dichotomy that we all display when we go, um, well, you know, I I sponsor a kid in Africa or, or where wherever for 12 bucks a month through whatever the system is, where, you know, and, and yeah. that's, I, I, I fixed my white guilt, I'm off the hook, you know. Um, and it's like when you're in the street and someone says, oh, money for this charity or whatever. And I never do it because I don't want to exsanguinate myself from that guilt because i think that guilt is important like the thing that i you know the other thing about those charities is a lot of them you have to do your research to make sure that the money is actually going where they say it's going to go and the people on the street get commissions i'm like if i'm going to donate i'm going to go online and do it right you know but but the other thing too is the thing that i offer the world is not like i'm not like if i went to one of those countries where those things are happening i couldn't fucking build a house I can barely like tie my. Sh- <laughs> Why don't I wear boots now? Because I was bad at tying shoes in primary school, right? Fair enough. Like I, that's not my skill set. I, you know, it's it's of no use for anyone for me to do that. What I can do is like promote people to think more critically, and then by extension, make the world a better place. And then hopefully, 
that has a knock-on effect in those areas um, where people think about policy more and they vote more consciously and they vote for politicians that are going to support that stuff. I, I'm, it's not going to help them if I fucking go over and have a pity party and take a fucking selfie with a bunch of, you know, African kids and put it on my Facebook and pretend I give a fuck because I did three weeks in f- some country and tried to help. Like, And then f- mention it to every single one of your acquaintances. For the next six years, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, fuck off. Like, I'd rather, I'd rather not... Like, that's not my skill set. That's not my strength. Some people, that's what, they, that's what they're good at. They build shit and they go right. there and they build shit and i'm like that's impressive i'm impressed because i couldn't do that and and there's something to this idea in this in this story about when you do those actions of like once a year you exsanguinate that kind of that nascent guilt of like being an asshole right for you know 11 months and 31 days of the year uh or whatever it is and then one day a year you're charitable or like when it's and, and that's why i find like big extravagant gifts sort of hollow in that way yeah and um, I think Pratchett does sort of comment on that um, materialism in the bit where Death actually goes to the department store and gives away things for free. Mm-hmm. And this the owner is just like, I'm not making any money. And he breaks down pretty much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, I, I mean, it's, it's a pretty clear commentary that it's like, I was thinking about that too, because it's curious... Um, when you discuss capitalism and things like that, there's a tendency for people to be like, well, it's ba- it's a bad system. It's like, well, it's actually just the only system that we know that works. Like, it doesn't, we haven't figured out where it goes next, but we know that it works for the most part. You know, we know it has, that- It clearly has problems, but- Clearly, uh, but like, we know that, like, socialism doesn't really work on scale. We know that capitalism doesn't, uh, that, uh, fuck, what's the, um, communism, I know, let's <laughs> see. We know communism doesn't work. We have a lot of, evidence to support that um capitalism the end stage capitalism ha- we, it's bad like we haven't yeah. figured that out but we know that it's good for taking third world countries and making them into second world countries even though it's good for developing countries but what we don't know is like where to go next and i think a lot of the times when you talk about capitalism in the context of what this book explores with gift giving and that guilt and that like scrubbing away your guilt is even though death gives stuff away for free and he has that moment where he's sort of he's the charitable one in that scenario like he's not really helping anyone because the shop owner isn't making any money um the people who are getting the gifts are only happy because they're not paying like it's still within that structure yeah like, although know. the children are probably a good deal happier right and and but that's and maybe that's saying something is that kids kids don't really operate in the system like because they don't have jobs they're not they don't care about money like when yeah. you're a kid did you give a shit how much a thing costs no you just want the thing yeah yeah and that's there's something kind of pure about that and there's something pure about their belief in like that stephen king talked about this idea that children think uh they, they don't think in straight lines like adults do like adults are able to go well i need to get from here to hear i need to not be afraid of this thing because i need to do it for my job or whatever and adults are really good at making these straight lines between different points and reaching yeah. somewhere in their in their thinking patterns so you can go well i need to um it's uh, so like an example is like i need to uh, as a kid you're like i need to get to the bathroom at night time right you wake up you need to go to the bathroom uh, as an adult you're really good at doing the straight line thinking where you go well i need to get to the bathroom Monsters aren't real. I've never seen a monster. I'm just going to go to the bathroom, even yeah. though there's a spooky yeah. noise outside. And this this book is very much about children as, as well. Um, like, they end up in the Tooth Fairy's Castle, which is a place pretty much inside a child's drawing. Mm-hmm. I say castle. Tower? Tower. I, I think it's a tower, yeah. But but I, it's... it's And then you contrast... Exactly. Like, you contrast that then with 
the kids in this story who are like they don't think in straight lines because that's not how they view the world they go well a gift is a good thing because it makes yeah. it makes me happy and there's no like where the shop owner's like well I need to make money, and this is an obstacle for the, yeah. the straight lines, or it was the kids kind of afraid yeah. to think. And and with that as well, um, tea time. Um, if we can go back to him, you're going to miss um, tea time. The is very clearly implied to still be childlike and to never really have grown up mentally. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sort of a case where, um, for other people, they understand that. They can't just kill anyone they please, but tea time, he, he, someone will bore him or he'll just enjoy killing them. So mm-hmm. he'll just kill people. It's all impulse. Right. Yeah. It's all id or whatever. Yeah. That, oh, that's actually fascinating. I hadn't thought of that. That is fascinating too. If the more you, the more you kind of re-examine the way that the story goes and the importance of children and belief. And he's like, tea time is not infected by being an adult like he's not he's not ruined by that and the same thing happens with banjo except the difference with him is that he from a young age has had certain moral principles drilled into him by his presumably horrible mom Mm -hmm. who told him in no uncertain terms not to hit women Mm -hmm. um which Mm. yeah do you think then that because maybe then pratchett is more interested in the necessary divide between being an adult and being a child, like the necessary divide in perhaps in realizing that the Hogfather is not real and becoming a grown up and transitioning into into whatever the the realm is beyond being a child, and then when when those beliefs are thrust upon you, that's when you become aware of death, and maybe or or, or that that's when you realize the belief is not the only thing that matters. So maybe there's something in in that examination of. As a child, you're able to freely believe in the Hogfather, but when you're a grown up, you, you the only like you still believe in things, but instead, what you end up believing is like things that are around your finality. Like you yeah. believe in death. Do you believe death is coming for you? Like all of those things. Now, maybe so, I, I'm, I'm not sure what maybe yeah. he's trying to say, but th- you know, I'm not sure. It might also be prudent at this point to mention Hex, yeah, the thinking engine, um, who my head in. <laughs> is perhaps a bit childlike himself even though hex is a thinking engine basically a computer that Mm -hmm. is really smart but also has a degree of sentience Mm -hmm. so hex gets tasked by the by death sorry to believe in the hog father and he gets a teddy bear for for hog's watch Mm -hmm. and henceforth won't function without it um which is cute (laughs) yes um so, and I'm not sure exactly what he's trying to say with that, mm-hmm. but it's kind of interesting that Hex is kind of childlike enough to sort of, there's sort of this theme of the adults sort of becoming more childlike. Like, so this happens in the the Tooth Fairies mm-hmm. Tower because the Tooth Fairies bringing back their childhood terrors and yeah, they're regressing right. and yeah. one of them starts to suck his thumb and yeah. um, the scissor man comes after him. Um, but also um, Ponder Stibbons hangs up his sock oh, that's right. um, yeah. to get presents. Mm. Interesting, especially given Hex. Maybe 
I mean, again, like it's it's a hard reading to make because I think there's just a lot of moving parts in Pratchett's thinking, and like, yeah, he's. I don't feel like he's ever trying to say anything specific, but he's more interested in asking you to think about the topic of yeah. like what he's discussing. But yeah, the hex thing, I didn't really thought of that as like connect. That's kind of fascinating though. Like that, can you like because it's a search? It's basically like a search engine for belief, more or less. I don't know how you'd explain it. I don't know. Hex is an interesting, and he definitely appears in. Uh, several other things. Mm. Um, it's basically the dawn of computing in Discworld and probably the end of it as well. I don't think it would ever spread. Right. So then the question is, like, if, yeah, c- like, can technology facilitate that process of belief in a way that's sustainable? Dunno, man. Maybe. Are machines human enough to believe in stuff? Oh, but, like, or is their job to support our furthering of our beliefs or something like i don't know whatever those questions are but like i mean you're getting this now because of technology like if you're listening to this or watching it like and we support certain things that we believe to be true and that facilitates then people making more decisions and then thinking about stuff differently so maybe it's like maybe it's just that technology is yet another gateway for or it's 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 another pathway for that to happen where it's like the tooth fairy myth is passed on by parents who tell you tell your kids about you know if you put the tooth under your your pillow you get the you get money or whatever yeah oh but that's interesting because that's about that's about money and it's interesting that in a story that examines some of those aspects of like giving and guilt and capitalism that one of the central points is the tooth fairy's tower which is a process where kids believe that they will get money from a thing that's that I need <clears throat> thought of that. That's that's there's something there too. I think we should probably touch on Susan, given that we haven't given her more than maybe a sentence. Yet. Yeah, I think um, we should. I mean, because she's the main character, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, I mean, talk to me about Susan because um, um, I feel like she's a character that that would speak to a lot of what yeah. you're all about. So Susan is pretty much my favorite character. She is um, the granddaughter of do- death, not biologically. Um, but her mother was the adopted daughter of death and her father, um, who we meet in Mort. Actually, we meet both of her parents in Mort. Oh, okay. um, her father was Mort um, and he is death's apprentice. Yeah. Um, basically, um, she has some deathly powers and um, she can walk through walls and shit. She also got cool um, hair. But... What she wants most is to be human, and she knows that the more she uses those powers, the less human she'll become. Yeah. Um, so she spends a lot of the book fighting against that urge, um, particularly since her grandfather, Death, has sort of half given up his job to do the Hogfather's job. She knows that if he doesn't go back to do his work, she'll have to take his place and she won't be human anymore. Yes. And- Again, that's one of those things where I'm like, I don't know what he's going for <laughs> with that. <laughs> like, it's it's such a fascinating, like... Think, yeah, it's probably... Part of it is that I think death always needs to exist. It's like someone has to do the job of death. Mm-hmm. Um, they just have to because people are always going to die no matter what. Mm-hmm. And, but, and to do that, you have to... Because, like, humans 
humans are always fighting against death. You can't be human and do, do the job at the same time. Yeah. You know, you have to, you have to distance yourself you have from to, it. Is, you have to exist outside of that. Yeah, okay. and, and that's, that's a terrifying, like, I think that's something that as humans, like, we can't really comprehend. Yeah. So, and that's maybe why she's so resistant to it, is, like, that thought of whatever that unknown state would be and yeah. what it would what it would mean to be that. I mean, she takes a job as a governess to try and get away from that, to try and get some normality into her life. And at the beginning of the book, she's sort of, she's been away for it for long enough that she feels that she's been human for a while. And mm. um, But then it, it immediately comes back to her. She can walk through walls. She can stop yeah. time and everything. Well, like death catches um, up with her, basically. Yeah. Um, but her being a governess is also interesting with the, basic with the themes of the novel being that she she has two children um named twyla and gawain Mm -hmm. whom she has charge of and they of course believe in the hogfather and the tooth fairy and a great many other bogeymen whom she has to hit with a poker to make (laughs) them go away yes which is quite fun yeah no that that, that's a good point too i think making her a governess is curious because that's pr- you're protecting and preserving life and belief yeah but then at the same time again like it's it's that contradiction of death and life where you you can't have one without the other one is ever present and you have to resist the urge to even acknowledge its presence you know it seems like the whole book is about that push and pull um between those two states yeah hmm. now the more i'm thinking about it because like a governess is trying to remember there's an episode of doctor who where it's during that season where clara was the main character basically Mm -hmm. um and she's a governess in like victorian england or something yeah um and the reason for that it was like they were trying to Stephen Moffat was trying to be clever where he was like what if she was in all of his timelines yeah um but one thing that that touched on theme wise that i think intersects with this story in particular i don't know why i'm bringing up doctor who a lot i haven't watched like like, yeah it's just i mean that episode does happen in winter it's one of my favorite episodes of the show as it's well. It's great, actually. Yeah. I think it's the only good Christmas special. Possibly. I don't know. Yeah. But that particular episode examines that idea of, like, like, what do you want? Like, when you when you have people under your charge that you protect, um, what does that actually entail? And, like, what are you willing to sacrifice to keep those people safe? And ultimately, Susan is willing to go on this adventure and make these things happen. Not necessarily to keep the kids safe, but to keep the children children like or to, to allow them to be young and to be children to to preserve that belief and to not have to become death like to not have to become you know the the bad guy um i know it's kind of fascinating I, and i wonder if i went back and reread it now with a lot of this stuff in mind what i would pick up on like mm. obviously i can't because we do so many books for the show but like eventually like i might I, w- I wouldn't mind coming back to it with all that stuff in mind and seeing yeah some of those parallels in action at the time whereas now i'm like oh that'd be really cool like i'm like oh yeah that that all kind of connects somehow mm. and yeah going back through and, and maybe doing a second reading would reveal a lot more of that in some clarity yeah um and I, i'm curious to then go also go back and watch the the tv two-part tv tv series and see mm. how that holds up in comparison as well because i haven't seen that in fucking years i i do still love it um it obviously like you can never have all of the things translated mm-hmm. from you know there's a lot of stuff not necessarily a lot of stuff that happens in the novel but there's a lot of nuance yep. um in some of the things you have a, a lot of these side plots that so death 
takes food from this restaurant and gives it to these homeless people. And in the restaurant, he lives. He leaves behind a bunch of old boots, mm-hmm. and they make a fa- they make fancy restaurant fare out of mud and old boots. That's right. Yeah. 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 Forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird. It's just a weird fucking world, and I really like. Yeah. Oh, it's great. Yeah, uh, a lot of we, we definitely on. need to return to it at some point in this series. Yeah, we'll for sure cover um, some more some more of his stories. Yeah, I have some choice ones which I think. Um, some favourites which we should cover. Mm. We should definitely cover the one that's about the discs version of Australia. That one's oh, we should do that. The discs version of Australia is called Forex. Um, like the beer. <laughs> yes. Um, the reason being that cartographers, not knowing what was down there, would put four X's on the map. That's fun. And so it's called Forex. That's fun. That's a fun one. I like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Before we sort of wrap up, was there any kind of further thoughts that you had that you wanted to? Oh. Not sure. That's probably because there's a, there's a lot going on. It's in like this book. yeah, there's a lot to cover. Yeah. Um, I wanted to say next month. Um, people voted, and we're covering Stephen King's The Dark Tower. Ah. Oh. Which I think is partially my fault because I mentioned Stephen King several times during the last few months. Oh, did you? So I think people are like, oh, David really wants to do that book. Which, like, again, um, we're, so we're doing the first book, which is The Gunslinger. Uh-huh. Um, it's so good. I'm so excited to I'll reread have to get it. a copy. Yes. Um, mine are on the shelf at the top. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's such a good book. So we're covering I've that I've never read month. them, so this will yeah. be interesting. I'm curious to see what you think because the first one's really weird. <laughs> um yeah, it's. Yeah. I mean, they're my all really only weird. interaction with that series so far is a terrible movie. Oh boy! Yeah, I apologize <laughs> for that. I will attempt to put it out of my mind. God, it's not even remotely similar, so you should be fine. Yeah, should be okay. Um, although Idris Elba as Roland is choice casting, so if you keep that in mind, it'll still work. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, so like that, that'll be next month. Um, and that's more of a cowboy story, which will be fun for January. Um, yeah. and then we will have uh, in the Patreon. You can vote for the book that's coming up after that. Um, we have a giant spreadsheet, which I'm imp- you you programmed this dope spreadsheet where I can mark stuff and then yeah. it changes. I'm very impressed. So um, we'll be putting up the poll to vote for next month uh, once this episode is live. Um, and I think I'm going to put some sort of some of the weirder ones that I haven't heard of on there from your list, and we'll see what people pick. Cool. Um, at some point, maybe w- when the TV show is coming out, we'll do Good Omens mm-hmm. for that month. So when we'll try is that and, coming out? To, I don't know, but I'll find out. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited. excited. I mean, David Tennant choice um yeah. so we'll find out but and martin sheen martin sheen hell yeah yeah so it's re- i'm just excited um yeah so that'll go up at some point it'll be on the patreon um but otherwise you can find us in all the places on the internet we're at dcm works everywhere um or if you want to just go to one place it's just dcm.works is our url that's got our facebook our twitter uh, our patreon all that stuff um there's nothing else i really wanted to plug except you can buy my book may not trig um this is my battered, very used copy because I've been taking notes in it. Uh, it's a sci-fi kind of... I don't even know if I call it sci-fi. It is technically sci-fi, but it's a sort of a fantasy coming-of-age story. Um, it's very character-driven. Um, it's it's fast-paced. It's exciting, and it, it explores a lot of the topics that I talk about a lot in our shows. Um, and I had a really fun time writing it, and we're working on the second one. So if you, if you enjoy what we talk about, chances are you'll enjoy the book, I think. Yeah. And I uh, also got a really positive comment. I just wanted to read... Um, quick comment before we end the show cool. uh, from an old friend of mine john uh who john john those of you who have been around for a while uh from guitar gamers uh, had read the book um and he said and i quote that's a quality book you have there picked myself up a copy and finished it in the same day looking forward to the sequels that's a good compliment so, yeah which i thought was really nice uh and if you have read the book our goodreads page is live 
uh, we finally got it working. Uh, so there's some uh, some reviews trickling in. Um, so if you wanted to give us some feedback, that would be the place to do it. Uh, otherwise, uh, if you want to follow us individually, I'm at DCMIHatePie. I'm at Laura Ducky B. And we'll see you guys next month.